Thank you for joining us today. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to watch is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. Up to this point in our series, we have seen the first half of the book. In chapters 1 through 8, Jesus demonstrated through his life miracles and teaching that he truly is the Son of God. And through the second half of Mark, we'll see Jesus establishing his kingdom by going to the cross. Our entire study through the Gospel of Mark thus far is available in our feed. We would love for you to join in. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thank you so much for joining us today. My family, what's going on? What's up? What's up? Um, Today we're hopping back into the book of Mark. So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. And as you turn there, I want to express to you something interesting that, that intrigued me. It's the two Greek words that are two words separate, but put together they get our one English word. The first Greek word is the word para. It means contrary to. The next Greek word is doxa. It means opinion. Put those two words together, that's where we get our word paradox from. Uh, a paradox is simply a self-contradicting statement that when investigated proves to be true. The only reason someone was speaking a paradox is simply they're trying to capture your attention to provoke you to think deeper. In fact, uh, the great Christian writer G.K. Chesterton would say it this way, that a paradox is simply true standing on her head to get your attention. The paradox is simply truth screaming at you, hey, listen to me. Um, Christ must have been the king of paradoxes. He spoke of them all the time. Uh, he says, um, anybody want to live, they must first have to die. Anybody want to be strong, they must first be weak. Anybody wish to save their life, they must first have to lose it. Contradicting. But there's one other contradiction that Christ would talk to us today. In fact, it's a paradox that's contradicting to our ears that will grasp our attention. Say, wake up. It's the paradox, he says, anybody want to be great? Anybody want to be first? But then sign up. To be last. Ricky, what are you trying to tell me? Christ is trying to show us today that his kingdom and his way and his gospel are completely opposite of the world. The world says, want to be great? Well, then step on people's back to get that position. Christ says, want to be great? It's not by running to be first, but actually signing up to be last and servant of all. Christ says, Hope Church, wake up. My way and who I am is opposite of the world. If the world is on this side of the street, I'm standing on this side of the street. If the world goes that way, I'm going that way. He's simply saying, 
To be a follower of me means that you live and think and act opposite of the world. Have we forgotten that? To be a Christ follower means you're going the opposite direction of the world. Have we forgotten that we're called to be opposite of the world? In fact, as I was preparing for this message, it hit me that there's just some areas in my life that look more like the world than Jesus. What area in your life will you say, Ricky, if I'm just honest, this looks more like the world than you? And this is my fear. If we're not careful, we will allow the world to begin to date our faith. When that happens, what happens is we begin to lower the bar of holiness, lower the bar of what it means to be a disciple. Hear me. The world is not neutral. It's trying to, at every moment, to attack and conquer your faith in Christ. And listen, if we're not careful, we'll begin to live more like more for the world. But on Sunday morning, we'll come to church and sprinkle some Christ on our faith and call that Christianity. Okay, I'm going to go over here. <laughs> um, Christ says, the reason I'm speaking in a, in a paradox is to let you know that whatever way the world is going, I'm going opposite. And to prove it to you, Christ says, anybody want to be great? Anybody want your life to count? Anybody want to live a life of significance? It's not stepping on people to get to the first position. But in my kingdom, it's actually being signed up to be last and serve others. Amen? So to kind of catch you up, we've been on a hiatus from Mark, but now we're back. I love Mark. Anybody else miss Mark? Anybody else? All right. All right. All five of y'all. Amen. And, um. So to kind of give you a quick recap, Mark chapters 1 through 8, we see Christ proving that he is the Son of God. Mark 9 through 16, we see Christ now heading towards the cross. He's about to die to complete his mission. Now what boggles my mind is from Mark chapter 1 through Mark chapter 9, Christ has been preaching and teaching and showing his disciples who he is. But they still don't get it. And Christ today is about to give them a lesson, lesson 101, and why he came. Christ came to establish God's kingdom, and then he says, I'm also going to show you how to be great in that kingdom. All right? So we'll be in Mark chapter 9, verse 30 through 37, and Christ will show us three important things. First, he will show us about his sacrifice, and then show us that we're called to be servants and humble Three exact things that are opposite of the world. The world does not sacrifice for you. The world does not serve you. And the world will not be humble to you. Christ says, my way and my kingdom are opposite of the world. Amen? Amen. All right. So pick me up. Mark chapter 9, verse 30 to 37. It says this. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. 
And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Our first point we shall see is the great sacrifice. Because Christ is the greatest of all time. There is no one else like him. But just to make sure we're clear as it pertains to the GOAT, greatest of all time in basketball, church, here he is. All right, just to make sure we're clear. Just to make sure we're clear. All right? Greatest of all time. All right? All right? Hey, if you're booing, you're booing the pastor. Just saying. Some of y'all okay, huh? Okay, all right, all right. We shall see the great sacrifice. Verse 30 says this. They went from there and passed through Galilee. Now, we find Christ escaping the north region. But this should give us cause to pause. Why would he leave this place? He's had so much ministry success here. This is where Peter says, you are the son of God. This is where the transfiguration happened, where Christ peeled back his flesh to show his followers that he is God. This is where he just got done healing a demon-possessed boy. He's had so much success here, and this is where he is safe. Why would you leave this place and head south toward Jerusalem? He's heading towards the cross. It's about to die. He's turned the corner now. Everything changes. And it says, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. Christ says, I don't want anyone else following us. Because out of all the things I've done with you, you still aren't understanding who I am. Don't forget, he's about to die a few days later. You would think that nails being driven in his hands would consume his mind, but what consumes his mind most is the fact that his followers don't fully understand him yet. And it says, he said, saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. This is not the first time Christ has told the disciples this very thing. He says it again in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He says, I I'm going to die and rise from the grave. But the first time they didn't get it. So he says it again in hopes that they will understand. But this time, he adds something to it. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered. Now, this word delivered is interesting. The definition of it first. It means to give into the hands of another, to be condemned, to be put to death. But it also is to strike us the way Christ says it. He says it in the present tense. Meaning what he's saying is that me being handed over, me being given up, had already begun. Now, Ricky, I'm confused. I don't see Judas in the text just yet. I don't see any Roman soldiers with shackles. How is Christ saying that his betrayal has already started, and yet he's walking around as a free man? Christ is saying, Hope Church, that this plan of me going to the cross was a plan from the beginning of eternity. It was always meant that all of my life was to be given for this very moment. He's saying, me being given up right now was a plan from eternity past, agreed upon by God the Father, 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He said, disciples, me going to the cross is because of my Father. Wait a minute. I was told that God was a loving God. So you're telling me that God willingly gave up his son to be killed. That's exactly what I'm telling you. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How do you respond to a God that says, I love you enough to give up the only person I've ever loved? Praise. Thankfulness. Are you thankful that God said, I loved you enough to give my only son just to bring you back to me? And not just that. Christ is saying in this moment, fellas, I'm accepting the assignment. Because I came not to do my, not to do my own will. I came to do my father's will. A Jesus follower is not living for themselves. They live for the will of God. This is why he's the greatest. There's no one else like him. Who else will give his life for broken, messed up, jacked up people who barely say thank you? Nobody. This is why he is the greatest. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm going, this is the best act I've ever seen in my life. I've never heard of anybody want to give their life just for me. They must have been praising but the text says different. It says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, hold on. You walked with them, him for three years, saw all his miracles, heard all his teachings. It's the second time he's told you this, and you still don't get it? Don't laugh too hard. Don't laugh too hard. Some of us still don't understand all that God has done for us. I love this. Mark, how he paints it, he shows their ignorance. He's going, the closest people to him who should have understood chose not to. I wonder how many people in this room have heard hundreds of sermons from this stage. The closest to being able to understand the gospel, and yet you still choose to remain in ignorance. But I can't let the, let the disciples off that easy. They didn't understand because they didn't want to. Ever been there where you don't want to ask a question because you just might not like the answer? Oh, y'all, well, y'all, okay, all right, man. Um, how do I say it this way? Um, the disciples were going, if you are the Christ, you have to suffer. And me being a Christ follower might mean that I may have to suffer. And I would rather not hear that. <laughs> uh, this is why you and I at times keep, keep, keep Christ at an arm's distance. At the suburbs of our heart. Because we know that the more we know about Christ, the more he shall require of us. So it's just easy to say, Jesus, stay in the cul-de-sac. I'll stay on this side of the street. 
In fact, Christ pulls no punches here. He says it now in Mark chapter 8. Christ says simply this, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone will come after me, let him deny, let him deny, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I'll say it this way, the human mind has an amazing faculty for rejecting what it does not wish to see. Christ says, I came to die for you. God's kingdom is built off of my back. Um, Christ takes his disciples to a private space and says, whether you want to hear it or not, God intentionally killed me so that he would not intentionally kill you. He's the greatest. Um, true story. One day, uh, a husband and wife were having a nice little date night. They were walking, and out of nowhere, a hailstorm hit. This hail was quickly the size of baseballs. And so the husband was saying to himself, I have to do something to protect my wife or she will be hit hard. So what he does is he drapes his body over her, allowing the hailstones to hit him harder and harder, so much so that his ears began to bleed. His head and his neck and his back are badly bruised. Uh, eventually, the storm surpasses, uh, and then all of a sudden, a, a news camera comes out, and they're trying to ask people to capture their story. They, they say, how did you feel about the storm? What do you mean? I got hit with hell. How do I feel about the storm? I got hit. Um, but they find the wife, and they say, ma'am, explain to us your experience. She says, speaking of her husband, she says, when I look at the scars, I find myself loving him more and more. When you hear us talk about all that Christ has done for you, how Christ draped his body over your soul so that the wrath of God will not hit you and hit you and hit you, that should make you say, I love my Savior more and more. You know, in heaven, there's only one person, Lance, who won't have scars. That's Jesus. His hands, his feet, and his side as an eternal reminder of his sacrificial love for you. He is the great sacrifice of God. So how do we respond to this sacrifice? I'll say to you this way. We respond to Jesus' sacrifice by allowing him to live his life through us by submitting our life to him. When you and I begin to submit our life to Jesus, there's two things that shall begin to define who we are. If Christ is the greatest, then we should strive for greatness. And the way a Christian strives for greatness is this. Greatness for Jesus' followers comes from service to others. Verse 33 says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now, I love this. Christ says, hey, fellas, what y'all talking about? Hey, 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 guys. Just quick thing. We are discussing. I love this, man. First of all, whenever Christ asks a question, it's always rhetorical. He already knows. He's God. But... Um, the point that gets me is, you're about to die. Why are you concerned about such a petty argument? 
Because for Christ, for, for his followers to be arguing about place and privilege and prestige means you don't understand at all who I am. I came to serve you. And you're going to argue about who's the greatest? Um, see, two things that probably would have caught Christ's attention is for his disciples to be arguing like this meant that they saw his kingdom like the world. In their society, um, to be great meant to have power and privilege. They saw uh, cricket politicians use their power to lord over people. They saw the religious leaders uh, use, their, use their, their, their teachings to, to keep the people captivated and arrested. In their mind, they're going, I want to be great, and this is how you're supposed to be great, like the world. And what breaks my heart is there's so many of us in the room who think the same way. We are so quick to step on the back of other people just to get a position. We're so quick to gossip behind somebody to take their place. We believe at times that the way you maintain power is by keeping people in check. And Christ says, Hope Church, wake up. This is not who we are called to be. How can you serve the one who was humble, yet you live a life of pride? Um, I'll say it to you this way. True greatness is not found in rank or position, but in character and service. Secondly, for them to argue like this meant that they were trying to corrupt his gospel. In fact, Mark 10 will say it this way. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The very one who should have been served, who deserves to be served, came to serve. For the disciples, they were more concerned about their elevation, ignoring that it came off the back of their Savior's humiliation. And Christ says, hey, fellas, heard y'all talking. What are you talking about? Um, ever had your mama ask you a question that stopped you in your tracks? <laughs> and the way she asked the question lets you know that she knew exactly what you did. Christ says, hey, fellas, heard y'all talking over there. What y'all talking about? They didn't say a word because they were humiliated. They were embarrassed. This man just said, I'm going to die for you. And you're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. But what blows my mind here is this, man. If I was Christ, I'd be like, hey, man, I'm done with y'all. <laughs> it's been three years. I done, I, done, I done healed folks. I done, I done made biscuits come out of my hand. I don't know what else I got to do. I'm done. But I love this about our Savior. It says, he sat down and called the 12 to himself. In this moment, Christ is teaching us what it means to be a disciple, that discipleship is a process. Two steps forward. Five steps back. And Christ gives them grace and mercy. And hear me, as a pastoral team, 
Our desire is to have that of the heart of Christ. We want you to get it. We want you to understand what it means to be a Jesus follower. But we also understand that following Christ is a process. You have good days. You have bad days. But hear me. God is in all days. And our desire is to walk with you the way Christ has walked with us. Because we love you. Okay? That makes sense? All right, now let me get up. Somebody help me. Christ says, um, I'm not against being great. I'm just redefining the definition. He says, greatness is no longer marked by what the world says. Greatness is now marked by what God says. You hear that? Greatness is no longer about what the world says is great. Christ says, greatness in my eyes is what, my Savior, is what my Father considers great. And God considers nothing even more greater than one who serves. I'll say it to you this way. Service to others is the primary way in which believers imitate and fulfill the mission of Jesus. This is the paradox of the gospel. The way of service is the way of Jesus, which is the way of true greatness. So i got a question to ask you. If I were to take your life and line it right beside Jesus, what would I find? A life of service or a life who's constantly vying for attention, recognition, and position? In fact, Pastor Tony Marita would say it this way, the gospel frees us from our addiction to ourselves. Christ says, anybody want to be great? Anybody want your life to count? Anybody want to live a life of of significance? Don't sign up to be first. Sign up to be last and servant of all. Amen? And now to our last point, which is, Greatness for Jesus' followers comes from humility towards others. Verse 36 says, and he took a child and put them in the midst of them. I love this. In this moment, Christ says, I'm going to make my point come to life. I'm going to make my sermon come to life. And he he, he then takes a child and places them in the middle of these men. Now, my question is, if you want to have a a sermon about humility, why grab a child? (laughs) Grab a beggar. A poor person. Why a child? First of all, beautiful child right there, first of all. Um, because in the ancient world, children were not loved as they're loved today. In fact, they were seen as uh, irrelevant, an add-on. Um, they were the lowest of the to- on the totem pole. Pretty much Christ is saying, I'm showing you what it looks like to be least. Look at this child. No significance in the world. No, 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 no value to, to society's eyes. I'm, I'm showing you what it means to be least. And then it says he takes him in his arms. And it says that whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Christ is trying to show his disciples that, 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 that God's kingdom is not about privilege or position. 
It's about service and humility. Now, this child shows us four things, four things in our text. First of all, the child shows us the ancient society's view on kids. They didn't have a high view on kids at all. So Christ is going, this is the best picture to show you what I'm asking you to be. All right? And to be fair, our own society now is not really showing value to kids. Kids are precious. You hear what I just said to you? Kids are precious. If you, have a, if you have kids, love your kids, okay? Appreciate them. God is using them to make you look more like him. So at 3 o'clock in the morning, say amen. amen. <laughs> but secondly, this child represents what it means to be a humble servant. Now, Christ would have spoken in the Aramaic language. In the Aramaic language, this word child is the same word as servant. He's saying, I want you to be just like this child. Now, most kids, most kids are humble. Most kids. Uh, most kids, um, I got to put the most in there. Yeah. Most kids are, they're not vying for corrupt, you know, attention. They're not trying to find a place. Most kids understand that their whole life is dependency. God is going, be like them. Humble. Dependent. Um, I'll say it this way. Christ says, have childlike faith not childish faith. Okay, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. I love you, hear me. Let's stop being childish. Let's stop forgetting why we are called to follow Christ. Let's stop trying to have these bickering sessions. That's what children do. Have childlike faith. Not childish faith. Okay? Secondly, or thirdly, this represents Christ's love for kids. Jesus loved kids. Go back and read in Mark how he feels about kids. In fact, read the Gospels. He says, don't keep them from me. Theirs is the kingdom also. But then lastly, this child represents any person in need. He says, whoever receives them. This word receives, it simply means to take in like family. Christ says, you want to be great? Being great is no longer about being concerned just about you. Being great is being concerned about people like this child. Anyone who's in need. Anyone who can't help out your career. Anyone who can't advance who you are. He's saying, if you care about them, you're caring about me. I love this. He says, and not caring about just anybody but caring about those whom society has deemed irrelevant. The poor, the needy, those who can't help you on your resume, those who actually take from you versus give to you. When you welcome them, when you serve them, here it is, when you treat them like family and just not something off your Christian checklist, when you do that, you're welcoming me and not just me, you're welcoming God. And hear me, I'm the most giving person you ever know, as long as you give it back. <laughs> I'm just saying, listen, I will give you all the money in the world as long as I know you give it back. Christ says, you want to be great? 
Don't give to those who can scratch your back. Give to those who can't pay you back. Because is that not the gospel? What did you give Jesus? I can tell you. Nails. I said it this way in Matthew 25. And when did we see a stranger and welcome you? This is now Christ speaking. He's saying, or naked and clothe you. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Christ will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to the one, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. We missed another passage on this, but we'll come back to it. It's all right. But Matthew 25, Christ is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know that when you begin to love and serve others, what you did to them, you did to me. Anybody want to be great? Anybody want your life to count? Don't sign up to be first. Sign up to be last. Um, oftentimes when bodybuilders uh, want to put on muscle, they'll do what they call compound lifts. It helps them increase muscle mass quicker. Now, have you ever seen a bodybuilder putting on weight, man, and getting muscle put on? It's an amazing sight to see. But also a weird sight to see is a disproportioned bodybuilder. It shows that they spent more time on one area while neglecting the other. The weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life is a bodybuilder who keeps skipping leg day. You know what I'm saying? Like they can't really hold their body up. Oh, uh, like, like they keep skipping leg day. It makes it looks weird, doesn't it? But if a bodybuilder wants to get his legs strong, there's no greater exercise than the squat. You simply put weights on your back. You go up and down, up and down, up and down to a 90-degree angle, and it helps you increase the strength in your legs. But whenever you see a bodybuilder who has disproportioned legs, that means he's not going low enough in a squat. He's refusing to bend. One of the weirdest things I've ever seen is a disproportioned bodybuilder. But one of the saddest things I've ever seen is a disproportionate Christian. Their refusal to live a life of humility all because they refuse to get low and serve other people. Hope Church, have we been skipping leg day? I think we need to do more squats. Hear me, I, I, this is me too. In fact, I feel so hypocritical because I have baby legs. I'm just like, man, that definitely lets you know I ain't been serving nobody. Just joking, just joking. But in all seriousness, many of us look great in the world's eyes. But remember, it only matters what God thinks. And in God's eyes, we look disproportionate. Because we have refused to get low enough to consider others 
more important than ourselves. Hear me. This is who we're called to be in our character. People who serve. People who are humble. So I ask the question again. In your personal life, have you been skipping leg day? In fact, let me tell you of how your Savior never skipped leg day. Philippians 2 would say it this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is what your Savior did for you. I got a question to ask you. It's kind of a paradox. Anybody want to be great? Anybody want your life to count? Anybody want to be significant? Stop using the world as your grading system. Use God. So, quick thing here. Ask you a quick question. Are you a person who loves to sacrifice for people or for folks to sacrifice for you? Amen. I hear you. I hear you, Lord. I hear you, Lord. <laughs> Anybody like to serve others or want others to serve them? Anybody like folks to kiss their feet or they strive to be humble towards others? Christ simply says this, to be my follower means to be opposite of the world. And this, as a disciple, is a key, two characteristics that should embody our lives. People who serve, people who are humble. If you are a Christ follower, there's all grace for you in the areas that don't look like Jesus. There's grace for you. But I'm also calling you to repentance. Repentance is not a bad thing. It's good. Only in Christ can you walk in dirty and come out clean. Repent for the errors in your life that don't look like Jesus. It's okay to say, God, I need your grace and your mercy. But also, what I'm asking you is that your life surround these three things. This should be the character of who we are, ones who sacrifice, ones who serve, and ones who are humble. Does that make up who you are? If somebody wrote down your characteristics, would those three be in the list? Then lastly, I have a great challenge for you. Be great. 
be great. Just don't be great in the way the world says it. Be great in the way that Christ was great for you. Sacrifice, service, and humility. If you don't know Christ Jesus, I'm talking to you directly. I want you to come to him. Come to the one who gave everything just for you. This is the great paradox. That in his death, you have life. That in his suffering, you can have the abundant life. That in his humility, you're not going to be proud, a proud child of God. If you don't know Christ Jesus, come to him. He gave it all just for you. So as our pastors begin to come, I want to pray. And after I pray, listen, I want you to do business with God. If you need to have prayer to say, Lord, forgive me for not living a life that's pleasing to you. We're here for you. If you don't know Christ Jesus, we would love to introduce you to the one who gave it all. Father, I pray that this time has been one that was just impactful and poignant. I pray it's been one that's been gracious and loving. All the things that you need that you would allow to allow your people to realize that who you are, and your kingdom is completely different from the world. So, Father, as we leave today, let us strive for greatness. But not greatness as the world sees it, but greatness as you see it. This is who we're called to be. People who sacrifice, who serve, and who are humble. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I got one last question for you. Anybody want to be great? Well, let's rise and respond to God and how you need to.